You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered into his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for everyone you brought here um, into this place, Lord. Please um, be with Ben today um, as he teaches us about um, King David and Saul, Lord, and um, just give us all um, ears to hear um, and open and soft hearts to your word, Lord. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. How's everybody doing? Glad to see you this morning. Um, Have you guys ever heard of uh, decision fatigue? You ever heard of this? Decision fatigue? Yeah, Yeah, so um, I read about how uh, car dealerships use this to their advantage. Uh, They actually, if you're buying a new car, I've never done that before, but um, (laughs) maybe one of these days. Uh, apparently, if you're buying a new car, they have you decide on a bunch of like low low ticket items first, like the color things that don't ha- that don't cost much money. Uh, whether or not you're going to have a roof rack or uh, tow package, the color of the car, these kinds of things. And so you're working through like a zillion different choices. And as you're doing that, you've already had to think through the different you know what car you're going to buy. So as you're working through all of this, your brain starts to fatigue. You get decision fatigue. And then they start asking you, you know, whether or not you want the upgraded seats, whether or not you want the more powerful engine, whether or not you want the, the updated trim package or whatever. And so at this point, they found that uh, as, you're, as you start getting decision fatigue, you'll make rash decisions. And you'll just say, yeah, sure, give me the leather seats. And, and, it'll, and you, you, know, you pay several thousand dollars more. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, if you think about decision fatigue comes from having too many options. And we live in a world with endless options. And so I think we kind of live in a perpetual state of decision fatigue to a degree. I mean, all you have to do is walk down the cereal aisle at the grocery store to get decision fatigue. Because there's like 200, I, I, I was reading about this, I didn't write it down. I think it was like 280 something different cereal choices just going down the cereal aisle. Like, it's unbelievable the amount of options that we have. Um, we have more options, things to choose from than any generation before us. We have 
millions upon millions of websites to choose from. Uh, you know, we, we don't grow up in a community and just stay there and pick a job and stay there, right? We, that's not our world anymore. We grow up and we might move somewhere else and we can go online and, and search for jobs all over the country, all over the world if we want to, openings that are in our field. And, and so it's like we have this endless um, options to choose from, and this is having an effect on us. We, because of social media, we know of all the events, every event and gathering that's happening in our city. And on top of that, we've got you know, our friends telling us they're interested in going to this thing or they're going to this thing, and so that points our direction at that. And then we've got to decide if we're going to do that, but we're probably not going to decide until the last minute, right? Because we want to keep our options open, so we're going to click that we're interested, and then we're going to wait until it's like the day of, and then we're going to decide what are our, what my friends doing, you know? And we have FOMO. You guys heard of FOMO? Okay, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit above that generation age-wise, and so this is a new concept for me, FOMO, fear of missing out. But I guess I, maybe I have FOMO too, I don't know. Um, this desire to keep our options open is affecting our lives in countless ways. Um, one thing that we see just culturally speaking is we're waiting longer to choose to get married. I, this was really interesting to me. I was looking at the Census Bureau's uh, website, and if you go back to like 1919, um, men were waiting on average until about 23, women were waiting until about 20, and those numbers stayed pretty much the same for like the next 50 years. They stayed that way up until uh, 1969, and in 1970, all of a sudden, those ages start to, to sort of move up a little bit, and, and now today, um, men are waiting until an average of 30, and women are waiting until an average of 28. So men are waiting seven years longer than they did uh, 50 years ago. Women are waiting eight years longer than they did 50 years ago. Um, Twelve years ago, I said I do to my wife and made the greatest decision outside of my decision to follow Christ in my life. I mean, my life as I know it, my family wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that decision, that firm decision that I made. You know, when you make a decision, what, what's hard about it is that you are having to not only say yes to this thing, you're actually, in saying yes to it, you're saying no to all the other options, right? That's what makes marriage, marriage, right? So when I said I do to Tiffany, I said I don't or I won't to all the options out there. And in fact, because of that, um, I had a hard time. I almost didn't say I do. We actually, both of us, we broke up before it was that time to make that commitment. And it was because of this. We were wrestling with this. Like, are we sure? I mean, what if there's somebody a little better out there? <laughs> you know? We both had that fear. And, uh, and, and we expressed that to each other. So we broke up. And so, so here we had had this history. We were high school sweethearts, and then we were college sweethearts, and then it, we were graduating college, and then we were like, oh, but what if there's somebody like, like a smidge better? 
And that's, what, that's the way that we think. We fear of missing out. Right? I might, I might miss out on somebody that's, that's a little better for me. And praise God, um, he woke me up to realize I cannot do better. I way, <laughs> way, way outpunted my coverage on that one. Yeah. Whew. Thank goodness he woke me up. Um, in the book, Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung says, we are always pondering what could be better or what might be nicer about something or someone new. Listen to this. He says, decide comes from the Latin word decidere. I don't know if that's right. Meaning to cut off. It means to cut off, which explains why decisions are so hard these days. We can't stand the thought of cutting off any of our options. Which is what makes marriage marriage, right? I mean, if you don't have that, then you can't build a family. There's no foundation for a family to be built, right? But it's that decision to cut off the other options that makes a a firm foundation. And so I'm just using marriage as an example, but there are times when it is so powerful a thing to cut off your other options, to make a firm decision about something. Another way we might say that say this about marriages or about anything where we're making a firm decision is we're being faithful to something. Faithful. We're not keeping our options open. We're not, we're not distracted with the other possibilities. We're being faithful with this, what we've decided, whether it's with this job, with this marriage, with this ministry, with this neighborhood, Whatever it is, I'm going to be faithful here. And there's a tragic shortage of faithfulness in our world today. The definition of faithful is loyal, constant, or steadfast. Another way to say it would just be you're all in. Um, This morning, we're going to look at our tendency to waste our impact for the kingdom of God because we aren't faithful with what God has put in front of us. We want to live meaningful, impactful lives, but we fear the prospect of missing it. And so a lot of times, I, I, I know this to be true of our church, we, we want to live the most impactful life possible. And so we're wondering, God, what is that for me? What's the, what's the most impactful life that I could live? And we end up not being faithful in the present with what's in front of us because we're so concerned that we might be missing something that's coming down the road. We're going to learn the value of being faithful right where you are from King David. We're just going to look at him as a flawed but good example for us. And why we can see that he was faithful right where he was. Um, let me pray and then we will dive into the scriptures. Father, um, I so desire to see you move in our midst this morning. 
I so want to see you come and dig up stuff in our hearts that shouldn't be there. Uh, Wrong ways of thinking, misconceptions that are leading us astray, things that are distracting us. God, show us where we're missing it. I pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that you would give me your words this morning. Help me to be faithful to the Scriptures, Lord, and to speak the truth. And I pray that you would encourage, powerfully move among your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to your Bible, and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16 if you're not there, or on your, on your Bible app or whatever. Turn to 1 Samuel 16. Um, and this is in 16, 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 13. This is where David first learns his calling, his destiny, you could say, right? Um, it says, that Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? So we've talked a little bit about this story. We've referred to this in the previous sermons. But, but basically, God has told the prophet Samuel to go and anoint one of Jesse's kids. So, so he says, bring your kids here, right? And, and Jesse brings seven of his eight boys. And he leaves just one of them out in the field keeping the sheep. And he's like, well, yeah, well, well I, brought, I brought most of them. Um, so Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? Because the Lord's like, none of, these are, none of these are the ones that you're supposed to anoint to be king. And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, David knows what his destiny is. He just found out. He found out that he's supposed to be the king. And on top of that, he's got the Spirit of God now anointing him for this work. Now, Notice what he doesn't do. I mean, this is like not the way that any of the movies go. If this was a movie, this is not at all how we would make this play out, right? What he doesn't do is he doesn't go and immediately start conjuring up a plan to take the throne. That's not what he does. I mean, what would our tendency be in this situation? What are we taught by our culture? You've got to grab destiny by the horns, right? You've got to go out there and get it. But what does he do? Well, he goes back to work. It's interesting. We find out as we keep reading that he's like just went back to work and keeping his father's sheep. Um, Maybe you feel like You've got a calling on your life, something that you're not doing yet. And and you're wondering, like, how do I get from here to there? We're going to look at how David did it. Um, The next snapshot that we see of David's life is from this interaction between Saul and his servants in 
1 Samuel 16, 17 through 20. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. This is the scripture you just heard read. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, uh, his son, to Saul. Now, if you know a little bit about the story of David, this is before his big fight with Goliath. We're going to be talking about that next week. This is before he's done anything noteworthy at all. Like, so far, all he has done with his life is keep his father's sheep. And look at the reputation that he has. He is already known as a skillful musician, a man of valor, so he's brave, a man of war. He hasn't even been to war. Prudent in speech, a man of good presence. He's delight to be around. And the Lord is with him. He's known as a guy who walks with God. This is interesting to me. He's done nothing with his life, as the way that we would think of it, right? He's built nothing. He hasn't started any businesses. He hasn't gone on any big battles. He's just been in the field. He's from Bethlehem, this small little town, a couple hundred people. And he keeps his dad's sheep. And yet, he has this reputation. How do you get a reputation doing that? By being as faithful as possible with what's right in front of him. So, I imagine he's sitting out there with the sheep. And he's got a lot of extra time on his hands. And so, he perfects his instrument. Right? He, 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 he realizes, I, I think I have this gift for music. And so he perfects his instrument. He's, he's a songwriter. We're, we find out as his life goes on, he writes most of the psalms. So he's out there, he's perfecting his instrument, and his job is to keep sheep. So apparently, he worked hard to perfect his aim with a slingshot because he needed to have some way to defend the sheep, right? Well, that's going to come in handy for him when he faces Goliath. Look at this in 1 Samuel 17, one one chapter over, verses 32 through 37. Now, David's standing before Saul, and, and he's telling King Saul, I'll go out and fight this giant. And Saul says to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, 
The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, let me ask you something. What if David had had the attitude as he's sitting out there keeping these sheep? What if he'd had the attitude of, ah, uh, this, doesn't, this doesn't feel like what I'm called to. Like, I need to just wait this out until I get to do what I'm really called to do. What do you think he would have done when a bear came, took one of those sheep? He probably would have waved at it and said, you have that one. <laughs> I'll keep these, right? But that's not his attitude. His attitude is, I am going to be as faithful as possible with what's in front of me, with the job in front of me. And so he's been working at his skill. He's been honing his skill. And he says, this is why I learned how to throw these rocks, right? And he goes out there and he takes out the bear. Or he takes out the lion. So without even realizing it, because he is being faithful with what's in front of him, God is preparing him for what is next. You see that? Because he's being faithful with what's in front of him, he's being prepared for the thing that God has next for him, namely fighting Goliath, which opens the door for everything else in his life. In fact, if he hadn't been faithful as a shepherd with his father's sheep, I don't think we'd even be talking about David today. I don't. You see, Jesus says in Luke 16.10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And then in Matthew 25.23, using a parable to teach this, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. My hunch is, David would have never had his shot at Goliath if he hadn't fought with the lion and the bear. Here's the question that we ought to be thinking for ourselves. What has God given me to steward right now? Even if it's very little, even if it feels insignificant, what has he given me to steward right now? God starts all of his children with very little. He never starts us with much. He starts us with with little. He tests us in little. And he sees if we will serve the Lord faithfully in it. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So by being faithful with whatever is in front of you, you're serving Jesus, no matter how small it feels. What is in front of you? Are you a parent? Then you are are tasked with faithfully parenting your kids. Are you an employee? Then by serving your boss, you are serving Christ. 
Are you a son or a daughter? Then you can serve your parents to the glory of God. A wife or a husband, you can serve your spouse to the glory of God. You have a home, you have a yard, you have vehicles, you have a bank account. What do you have? What has God given you to take dominion of? This is the original mandate. He, he wants you to be faithful with what He has given you. For David, this is quite a process. He maintains this same principle all the way through until he becomes king. So, He's not just faithful in his father's field. Now he, we, we read about he moves into the palace, and now he's a palace musician, and he's faithful there. Saul loves him being there, and he becomes Saul's armor bearer, and he's faithful as an armor bearer. And then we find out that Saul becomes jealous of him, and Saul wants to kill him because of, how, because of the fact that he's taken out Goliath. And so he gets moved now to a commander of thousand in Saul's army. So he's kinda gets a, he, he kind of gets a, um, what do you call it when you lose your position in your job? Demotion, thank you. Gets a demotion. He gets a demotion, and he's faithful there. Until the pressure gets too much for him, Saul's after him trying to kill him, and so then he's, he's got to go on the run, and, and he is hiding in the caves and it says that all the people who are in debt and distressed in spirit and bitter in soul, they all go to him. And so now he's, he becomes commander over these like 400 rejected men. And he's faithful there. Out of these men, he raises up his, his mighty men. Everything that he is given, he is faithful with. And the thing that we notice is he, is he is resisting the urge to make something happen. You see, he knows what his destiny is. He knows what he's called to. He's received the anointing. He's got the spirit. He knows he's supposed to be king. And all along the way, he refuses to grab it in his own strength. He is faithful wherever God puts him, and he trusts the Lord, and he keeps his hand to the plow, and the Lord raises him up to be king in his timing. It's about a 15-year process, but you see, David needed those years, those years of suffering, of, of hardship, of being on the run from Saul taught him much. They humbled him. They taught him how to be a leader this was his training grounds. It's where he wrote many of the Psalms. And so all along the way, God was preparing him for what was next. Listen to 2 Samuel 7, 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. God found a man who was willing to do all his will, a man after his own heart. And you know where he found him? He found him in a field. When 
God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, he was found also faithfully shepherding sheep in Midian. When Elijah, the greatest Old Testament prophet, goes looking for someone to take his mantle, instead of going to the great you know, school of prophecy to find the best student, where does he go? He goes to the fields. He finds Elisha plowing in his father's field, walking behind a pair of oxen with mud on his shoes. And he says, that's my man. When Jesus goes looking for his disciples, where does he go looking? Mark 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. When God is looking for a man or woman to use, he goes to the fields. He goes to find those who are faithfully at work. The ones who are mending their nets or plowing their field. He searches for those who are being faithful where they already are. Again, Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. You want to do great things for God. I know you do then faithfully plow the field you're in. Mend the nets in front of you. Learn to do what you do for the glory of God. Faithfulness in whatever is in front of you, that is your destiny. That is your calling I, for one, am glad that David didn't sit around in his fields pondering, I wonder if I'm called to this. I'm glad he didn't say, I don't feel like playing this instrument is my calling. Like a, a, a palace musician? I don't know. I feel like I'm called to more than that. We need to learn from this flawed but faithful servant of God. We need to look around us and say, what do I need to focus on in order to be faithful in this field? We need to start by taking out the lions and the bears that we're already surrounded by. We must decide, which means we've got to cut off all the wondering what if and what might come and trying to look down the road and see what might be coming next, and all the while missing what's right in front of us. We need to trust God 
And along with that means we know that He is able to move us on to the next thing when it is time. King David penned these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Lord promises us. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The fact of the matter is you might be called to a different job. Or you might be called to another city. Or you might be called to another country. Or another ministry position or whatever. But you can trust that God is able to let you know when that time comes. You see that? You see where the promise lies? It's on himself. I will instruct you. And when we can trust that, we can be faithful with what's in front of us. Right now, you can be sure of this. Your calling is faithfulness in the field you're in. I want you to think about this. Was David any more called to be a king than he was called to be a shepherd? Or called to be a palace musician? Or called to be an armor bearer? Or called to be the commander of the rejects? I would say that David had one calling his entire life that never changed, and his calling was faithfulness to the Lord right where he was. Faithful with what's right here, right where I am right now. His circumstances, his title, his influence, his job description all changed time and time again. But what didn't change was his calling to be faithful right now where he was. Take a moment right now and think about the different things that you've been called to steward. And ask yourself, am I being faithful with these things? Is there someone that you're supposed to be mentoring that you've dropped the ball with? Are you faithfully discipling the kids that God has given you? Are you being faithful with that project at work? Are you doing it kind of halfway? Are you faithfully stewarding the money that God has given you? It's His money. Are you holding on to it as if it's yours? Are you pursuing your spouse the way that you promised to do? Or are you neglecting your spouse? Is there something that God has called you to cut off and you've been indecisive about it and you need to make a firm decision? Picture the field God has you in and all that He has entrusted to you. And now I want to remind you of something very important. In your own strength, you cannot be faithful to these things. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in His strength, you can be a faithful steward of all that He's given you. He has allowed you to have all the things that you have influence over. And he will give you the strength to be faithful to those things. David believed this. He believed that whatever was in front of him, the Lord would give him the strength to faithfully steward and would equip him for it. In Psalm 18, it's all about this. He says, The Lord my God lightens my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop. 
And by my God, I can leap over a wall. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. This isn't self-confidence. This isn't grit your teeth and try harder. This is a total trust in the Lord, in His grace. Because if He's called you to it, He will equip you for it. In Psalm 20, verse 7, he said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. With each and every assignment, David believed that his calling was to be faithful and trust in the Lord. What has he put in front of you now? That is his will for you right now. Knowing this, trust the Lord and put your hand to the plow. Now, some of you here this morning, you haven't yet made the first and most important decision that you can possibly make, and that is to turn to Jesus and trust Him. That's the first thing that you've got to decide. The first thing that you must do is say, I want to follow Him, and then By deciding, you are cutting off all your disobedience, all of your going in your own way. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our sins separate us from God. Our rebellion separates us from Him, from relationship with Him. But Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ came to earth, and He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never rebelled against God, and He died for you. He died so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could be made right with Him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift that He wants to give you is a relationship with Him forever. He wants to give you forgiveness, a clean slate through Jesus Christ and what He did. How do we respond? How do we respond? We turn to Jesus. Acts 4, 11 through 12 says, This Jesus has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other roads, no other alternatives. He is the only way to God. How do we respond? Acts 3.19 tells us, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There is no greater decision in life than this one, to turn to God from your sins to cut off that old way of life once and for all and put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and let him give you new life. As we close in prayer, I want you just to decide this. What is my next step to be faithful right where I am? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe that's that you need to confess and repent of some sin that you've been holding on to. 
Maybe it's that you need to start picking up that Bible that's collecting dust all week long. Maybe it's that you need to change your attitude completely at work and recognize that you serve the Lord Christ through your job. Maybe it's that you need to start parenting your kids with intentionality and discipling them. Maybe it's that you need to commit to this church. You've had a foot in and a foot out, and it's time to become a member here and say, this is my, this is my family, this is my church home. Maybe it's that you need to take control of your schedule and say, I have been drifting through my life, through my weeks, and I'm going to start living on purpose to the glory of God so I can be faithful with the field I'm in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do pray that this would be clear for us what you are calling us to, what is our next step so that we can be faithful in the field we're in. God, I pray that this message would have repercussions in our lives, that we would not be hearers of the word going away unchanged, but that we would be doers of the word. God, help us to see what are the areas of our life that we are not being faithful to what's in front of us. Help us, Father, to be faithful by your grace, to trust you, to believe that you will equip us and empower us to be faithful where we are. I pray that you would use us for your glory. I pray that anyone here, God, that has not put their trust in you would turn to you from their sins and be saved. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.